This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Dean Salakis. Dean is the owner of The Party People in Australia. I'm excited for him to join the show. Welcome, Dean. G'day, Chris. How you going? I'm doing great, man. So, Dean, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the owner of The Party People. Actually, I, my title goes as Chief Party Dude here in Australia. Um, and The Party People is a party supplies retailer, much like your party city over there in the U.S., and um, yeah, I mean, we do balloons, decorations, costumes, party supplies, the whole bit. Um, and uh, we've got a, a bricks and mortar store, uh, which is Australia's largest store. And we, we pick and pack from that store. So um, it's, it's quite a large store. Uh, and I've been into quite a few of your party cities over there. It's, it's on the larger end of a, of a party city. And um, yeah, we, we do everything for a party. Excellent. Are the parties different in Australia? They are a little different, I would say. Um, <laughs> look, I'm still trying to work out the differences because I haven't been to that many parties over there in the US. My wife's American, so I'm, I'm, I've been over there a bit and had a bit of fun over there. But um, yeah, look, we have um, you know, some noticeable differences, I guess, around Halloween, where Halloween in Australia is very much about uh, scary costumes. You know, people dress up as devils, witches, you know, things like that. Where in America, it's a bit of a free for all, all sorts of costumes come out. And for us, that's a bit weird. For you guys, you think what we're doing is a bit weird. So it's, you know, that's how it is. Um, but then, you know, all year round, we're having costume parties are quite, quite super common. Like most parties involve costumes or themes and dress ups. So kind of for us, the everyday, you know, dressing up as all sorts of characters is more an all year round thing. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to, you know, it's very rare you go to a party that there isn't a theme and a costume attached to it. So that's probably a slight difference to it. But yeah, otherwise we're, we're very similar. Any other supplies that you sell that you probably wouldn't find in a party city? Oh, look, party city, I mean, we, we, we do buy from party cities supply here in Australia. So we have that. But I would say, um, look, I'd say we go a bit, I mean, my business goes a bit deeper in range. You know, MCN stores probably stock, I think, around, uh, look, if I was to guess 10 to 15,000 SKUs, we, we stock around 25,000. Um, so nearly double the skew range. So there's quite a lot of depth in our range in, in unique stuff. I mean, obviously we're in Australia, we sell a lot of Australian stuff, um, sure. <laughs> a lot more than American stuff. Um, but we, I mean, we do have a 4th of July category. We sell a lot of that stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it's quite a little bit different in that as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. We're going to get more into the business in a little bit. Let's move into the section we call clear the air, where we get to learn a little bit more about Dean. I've got three questions for you. Are you ready, Dean? Shoot. All right. Question one. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? Uh, the last time, look, I mean, uh, we're, we've been an innovator in, in retail for quite a while. And I mean, the, the thing we're trialing at the moment is a magic mirror that uh, people can try on costumes without uh, getting undressed. You know, you, you stand in front of the mirror and it's augmented reality. It's, I think a few people would have seen it in fashion. You stand in front of the mirror and you wave your hand and you try on different things. We're trying it with costumes. Uh, I tried it for the first thing, first time not long ago. I loved it. I thought, let's give this a go. And we're trolling that in store at the moment. Oh, 
So if I walk into your store, I can use an augmented reality mirror and try on a costume. That's right. Yeah, it could be Batman. Incredible. Batman. It's pretty fun, actually. I think kids just love playing with it, to be honest. But. That's incredible. Are you, are you seeing results from it? Do you think this is something you're going to stick with? Look, we're still trialing it. Look, it works quite well with COVID because people are a little bit sort of, you know, not wanting to try costumes on and things. So it's working quite well like that. Um, I'm still trying to work out the return on it and cost. I mean, the, the, the technology is uh, pretty good. It has, um, you know, it has, you know, as you, if you jump up and down, it bounces. And, um, you know, as you move, it moves with you and the material moves. So it's quite, quite complicated technology. Um, so yeah, so we're still working through it and whether the commercials are there, but certainly look, people are loving it. They enjoy playing with it. I love that. I love the innovation. That's great. I hadn't thought about it for costumes. Obviously you hear a lot about it in fashion. So very cool. Okay. Yeah. That's question one. Question two, what is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? Look, I, I would say like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not very good at managing people. Uh, um, you know, I mean, my business partner does that. That's his job in the business. He manages the team. Uh, my job is to do marketing and finance and things like that. And, you know, I just wish, I mean, look, I manage people, don't get me wrong, but it's just not a skill that um, understand my, my superpower, you know. <laughs> How big is the staff? Uh, running about 40 staff. Got it. All right. Question three. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? E-commerce and where e-commerce is going is a, is, a, is a debate I'm always having with fellow retailers. Um, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, online's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And my argument is, I think, you know, I can't see what is going to change in the next five or 10 or 20 years that's going to accelerate e-commerce growth. I feel like we're getting to a saturation point. Um, some people just want to shop in store. And I think that's going to be like that forever. And that's, that's my view. I mean, as an e-commerce pioneer, uh, it shocks people when I, when I say that um, because we were the first party store online in Australia and, and I launched that, that, that e-commerce store. Um, but I just feel like, you know, if things like 4G and 5G aren't having any major impact on the stats that we see, which they aren't, then, you know, the next big thing is going to have incremental impact rather than um, exponential impact. So I think we're getting to a saturation point of, I mean, at the, I think at the moment, excluding COVID, because I don't know what the facts are around COVID, but pre-COVID, uh, I think Australia was sitting around 11% of total retail being online. I think the US, from memory, I think it was around 15% or something. So, I mean, I think there's this big misconception that online is like 90% of the pie when it's actually a smaller component of pie and bricks and mortar is, um, has the lion's share. And I think, uh, look, we'll see it grow, but I think we're getting to a saturation point and I think it's leveling off and I get that. I have that argument with a lot of people. A lot of people disagree with me. I, I love where you went with that, that we've reached a saturation point. I have this argument all the time <laughs> with people. So I love that was your answer. You said something interesting. You, you don't see an accelerant that could make it grow exponentially. You see accelerants that potentially could make it grow incrementally, which I think is interesting. So I want to stay on this, even though this is a little off topic. I want to stay on this. Oh, I'm passionate about it. Go for it. Same. Let's drill down. So some people would say speed of delivery could be the accelerant. If people can get it in a couple hours, that's going to be something that will increase the growth of e-commerce. Yeah. 
What would you say to that? Yeah, look, again, I still disagree. I mean, the fact that we've gone from, um, you know, like I think of when I started, because I mean, I've been through the journey, right? We launched online. We had click and collect from the beginning. So we launched online in 99. Um, and, you know, we had regular delivery to start with and no one had anything other than that. Um, we added Express. Now, you would argue that that's a pretty big jump from regular to add Express. <laughs> Uh, and then we added same day, which again, we were first in, in not, not first in retail, but first in party at least to add those things. And you would argue they're major leaps in additions to an online. To, to go from, you know, having it same day to three hour to two hour to one hour, you're talking incremental differences there. And I just don't feel like if, if we didn't get made, and like over the last, 20 years in Australia, we've seen it go from zero to 11%. Um, we've seen growth in the last five to seven years, averaging 1%. Um, so these major innovations we've seen around delivery in Australia going to same day and same day becoming mainstream and even things like, like I said, 4G and 5G coming along and people saying, oh, faster internet's going to blow things out of the water. Those things haven't had major impact. They've had a 1% impact a year. Um, so I can't see, you know, delivery, you know, with drones, if drones start getting up and becoming mainstream and, we, we, you know, I don't know if you've watched the, the comedy thing with Ronnie Chen, uh, you know, I want, I want it now, um, you know, you, you, before you even think of it, it arrives. Um, if it gets to that point, I still don't think we're going to see major uh, shifts in, in, in e-commerce growth compared to bricks and mortar. I think there is still you know, fundamentals around human behavior that they, they, they want to go out and pick the, some people, not everyone's the same, right? You can have a lot of people that just feel like ordering groceries online is just the, the best thing ever and, and going to want to do it no matter what. And you're going to have other people that just want to go and pick their own fruit from the, from the, from the, the supermarket. So um, I think you're going to have, still have that, that percentage of the population that is different to the rest and is going to want to do things differently. So I think, yeah, I don't see delivery major delivery of innovations accelerating. I, I see they'll add something. There'll be people going, wow, I can now do a bit, a bit more convenient. But I, I don't see it. If, if, if adding express from having regular posts and, and adding same day didn't have major impacts, then how could, um, you know, going from three hour to one hour? That's just my view. Spot on. I, there's two other things that I would point out to this. One, I always talk about the cost eventually the people are going to have to pay for this and not everyone can afford these quick delivery. And two, one of the things I said, people talk about the rise of online in COVID. And I say, I often say, okay, let's, let's, whatever the number is in a place where people weren't allowed, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes to go out of their house and shop. Still today, e-commerce is only 20, 25% depending on which math you read in the US yeah. of total yeah. retail sales. And they weren't even allowed to go out and shop and that's all they wanted <laughs> to do was go out and shop. So I don't think there could be a bigger accelerant than that where the stores yeah, were closed and Absolutely. it's still, you know. And I would argue that maybe even COVID has pushed us to that, that, um, that point of, of saturation because like you said, people have been forced to order online. Right now in Australia, uh, retail is closed. Uh, even a lot of essential retail is also closed. So 
limited to supermarkets and, and there's a very few very few retailers that are allowed to be open at the moment so you know everyone can order online whether you're a, a tech savvy or not tech savvy um, you've been forced to order online at the moment in the current environment so I feel like everyone knows what online shopping is now. It's not like it's some novelty. And people who aren't using it just aren't ever going to use it. Or, or, or people, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a e-commerce, you know, digital native, but um, I don't do 100% of my shopping online. There are certain things I go and shop for. I've got, you know, I've got a hobby. I love my fishing. I'll go and, you know, I still want to go and look at the fishing rod that I'm going to buy. I, I don't want to buy it online. I mean, I might showroom sometimes i might go in and have a look and then buy it online but i still buy you know if i go in the store and the salesperson gives me a really good advice and i'm there and i want it now i just i'll just take it now you know i just i might as well there i'm there they've given me a good deal you know so i think um you know i think i think we we might have seen covid push us like people ask me you know do, do we think covid will push us right ahead in terms of e-commerce look maybe right now but i think it'll 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 settle down, and maybe we're just at saturation point. And I, you know, I think that's the way it's going to be. And I think wow. that saturation point, by the way, is less than fifty percent. I think bricks and mortar is always going to be king in retail. I hear you. Me too. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. What a great perspective from an actual retailer and an actual e-commerce owner who was first to the party, pun intended in 1999 with e-commerce. So thank you for that. Okay. I want to move on to the story. So I know it's in Australia. Where is the party people location in Australia? So, yeah, so the, look, we got a great story. I mean, my mom started the business 30 years ago. She was a clown, uh, 35 years ago. Now. A clown. She was a clown. Yeah, she did clowns. She did parties and went with the kids' parties and, and did that. Um, and then she decided to open up a little kids' party venue um where kids could come and have the party there which you know 35 years ago they didn't exist actually um you know as you know now they're a pretty big business i think the us has some pretty cool ones as well and um you know she the venue mcdonald's at the time i think this was in the 80s brought out their party venues you know you could have parties at mcdonald's uh and that wasn't good for business so she had a bit of retail um and that, that was going gangbusters. That was going great. So um, she converted the whole business, the whole venue into a retail store and started doing party supplies and, and selling stuff for parties instead of hosting them. And it became a party store. And then we grew from there. And um, we're located in New South Wales. Uh, our stores in Dromoyne, New South Wales, Australia. And we, um, yeah, as, as a teenager, I, um, my mum had this idea of launching an online business in 1998 so she gave it to me and said here you go son figure this out and um yeah i mean I, as, as a high school kid i launched an online store which was pretty fun and uh you know it, it kind of grew from there because we were early in, in the space and quite fun time i mean for a kid you know there was just so much opportunity and it was great i mean i could come up with ideas and i'm like oh why don't we add we can add you know express shipping we can we can do it this way and we can you know all these ideas were were flowing and um, you know, my, my parents backed me to, to, to do the development that was needed to get these things off the ground. And, um, you know, it was pretty cool. We started to see the results. I mean, in the beginning, it was one order a, a month and we were excited every time that one came in. Uh, but then, you know, it started to grow, you know, getting one a week and multiple a day. And, you know, it was quite, quite a cool journey. 
Oh, yeah. So the store, is it in the same location that it was when your mom started this clown party event business? <laughs> nah, look, we've gone through quite a bit of a transformation over the last 30 or last 10 years since I became CEO. Um, we, we expanded the site. The site moved. Uh, when my mom first started it, it outgrew the site. So she moved it. And then um, I, when we took over, we, we bought the, we bought the neighbor's business. It was a, you know, a secondhand fridge business. We had to buy the whole business so we could get the space because we just didn't want to move. So we bought his business so we could get his lease. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we bought some outside storage and we just kept expanding on the site. And then that, that we outgrew that. So we moved into what now is Australia's largest party store uh, in Sydney. It's just on the fringe of the city in, in Sydney. Okay. So let's back up. So a, a bunch of things here. We'll get yeah. to both the e-commerce and the physical. So as it was expanding, you had to purchase the adjacent business and you didn't want to get into that business, but that was a way for you to get to their lease. That's right. Fascinating. So what was their business? Uh, they were in a sec I think they were secondhand fridges and secondhand like appliances. Okay. So how big was their space? Uh, oh, I know in square meters. What was it in square meters? Uh, in square meters, I think it was about 400 square meters. Okay. So it's 400 square meters. So you, you buy... Doubled our, doubled our space, basically. It doubled your space. And for those who don't know, 400 square meters is about 4,300 square feet. So you went from like 4,000 square feet to about 8,000 square feet. Uh, and you bought this business... How long did it take you to convince the owner of that business to buy his business? Um, not long, actually. I mean, we had the, the landlord was also uh, unhappy with that, that tenant because he wasn't paying his bills. And, um, you know, when, when we offered him some money and said, look, you know, he had some trouble with the landlord, we offered to pay out that. And, um, you know, the landlord was happy because he was going to get his money and he was worried about not getting any at all. And, um, and the guy, you know, obviously the business wasn't a great business, so the money helped him exit that. And, you know, it was just a win-win for everyone in that, in that scenario. Excellent. So you buy this guy's business. Now you're about an extra 400 square meters. And then when did you decide that, you know what, we need to be even bigger? Um, it came out of necessity. I mean, that, that, that journey was painful, I'll be honest. Um, it was, you know, as we, we took on the next door lease because we just were running out of space and capacity and we were growing at, at triple digit growth through that, that early phase of us taking over. Cause when, when wow. my brother and I took over, um, we were, you know, we were, we were doing, you know, like I said, we were doing triple digit growth. We took out, when we took over, we, we, we really launched the business in terms of accelerating because my parents weren't really as ambitious as we were. Uh, so, you know, they were just happy to have a job. Um, where us, we, we, we took it over with a mission to, to make it massive and, and, and really dominate online. And we really accelerated that. And that's, you know, we were, we were bashing it. I mean, we were Google AdWords in Australia as first customer, actually. So we were the first people to launch on AdWords. Unbelievable. Um, so what time period are we in right now when you expanded into the space next door? Uh, well, 2003 is when we launched on AdWords, but 2007, oh, so 2008, 2009, roughly around that period. Is when we expanded next door. Wow. And that, that, that's when you started to have triple growth. 
what got yeah. you the, what, what do you think was the accelerant that from your parents complacency to you deciding I want to blow this thing up yeah we could we could have you could have uh you might have just turned this web, this uh chat into a four-hour chat but um <laughs> the, that that was actually like we came up with a formula to scale essentially so we came up with a formula that said you know this is what we can afford to spend on marketing and every time we spend that one dollar we get a dollar fifty back um and what we did was when we came up with that formula we removed all budgets on all our marketing so we had we, we didn't have any budget it just had to meet that that criteria of uh if you spend x you get y so like things with adwords as one and adwords is just like google ads is one example but you know with that you know my parents had budgets on it we went now nah, take the budgets off the cost per clicks and the, the conversion rate meet a formula that we're happy with so let's how, how, how can you know i mean the, the easiest way to put this was we were spending a dollar getting a dollar you know a dollar fifty profit back but or we're spending a dollar but the net effect of that transaction was 50 cents profit every time we spent a dollar so we were like well how can we spend as many dollars as we can yeah because <laughs> every every dollar we spend is profitable so um we just came up with that formula and unleashed it and what words were you buying uh i mean we had three million keywords at the time it's a little more wow. sophisticated now but um every, every word that is related to party we bought it i mean long tail keywords uh and as people might know long tail sort of performs better so you know we were everything from you know i don't know halloween party supplies sydney um is, is a more long tail keyword where or candy halloween candy supplies sydney or something like that was a bit more sort of long tail uh, but all the way up to the top to the word party supplies which is the most competitive keyword in our business um competing all the way up to the top we're, we're going to get back to that let's so in about 2008 2009 you expanded when did you get this new store that's the largest party support store in australia that was in 2011 um and i mean at that point we were at you know we were just bursting i mean like i was kind of going to say there we as we were growing you know we we added staff and then we added you know we needed more computers so we added more computers we needed more stations so we added more stations we added more space we just kept adding on and it got to a point where it was just too much and by the time we moved in 2011 we were running a 24-hour shift running three shifts eight hours picking pretty much the, the site didn't close you know that you know we're just picking all day long that's around halloween time anyway um through summer we were you know, running a 24-hour shift. We just physically couldn't put any more people, stations, anything into that old site that we had to move. And so we, we, we moved the operation in 2011. And um, yeah, I mean, plenty of capacity here. It's, it's Your new location, sure. did you buy it or lease it? Leased it. And is it in a shopping center? Is it freestanding? Freestanding. Um, I might send you a photo after this, but... um. Yeah, it's a freestanding store that's um, just out, out, out on its own on a on a major road in Australia. Shopping's a little different in large format to the US. Um, in the US, you know, you guys, well, I know, I know, quite commonly, you know, the, the large format retailers are in, you know, sort of a shopping precinct, if you want to call it that. I don't know what you call them, but they're, you know, there's a bunch of large formats all together. In Australia, it's more like um, there's a main road and the large formats just next to the main road so it's a little different how did you choose 
this specific location? Yeah, look, it was an interesting um, decision. I mean, we, we, we were looking at quite a few locations. I mean, we were pretty limited because there's not a lot of space around that was over a thousand square meters, which is what we, we were after. Uh, again, I don't know the, the, the calculations for that, um, but we, we um, you know, we had a couple of options. We basically just went around Sydney's main roads because we know we wanted to be on a busy, in a busy area, um, looked at a bunch of locations and then just started narrowing them down. I mean, we were in a bit of a hurry. So we just, um, you know, to be honest, this location in the end was um, by far the best choice, but um, we, we were choosing between two sites and the difference between them was um, this landlord was prepared to give us, you know, 30 years worth of options uh, on the site. So we were able to get a lease that guaranteed us 30 years uh, tenure and the other one was the opposite. You know, we could get maximum eight years and they wanted a demolition clause, which allows them to knock it down at any time and rebuild and kick us out. So, you know, that was the difference. In the end, um, there were a lot more positives that came out of the site that we just hadn't assessed. And we learned, you know, I mean, we got lucky. We, we didn't learn the hard way. Um, when we, you know, in hindsight, we, we made the right decision. Uh, but, you know, we, there was a bunch of things. I mean, we moved into an area that is basically the, the center of Halloween in Australia, uh, which we didn't know about. And Australia's the street that does Halloween, the biggest in the country is literally two blocks away from our store. Um, the, the, the road we're on compared to the other road that we were looking at, I mean, the traffic is 10 times busier. Um, again, we didn't really know that, that, that corner of the city that well, both of them. So we weren't really that aware, but you know, it turns out we made the right decision. So we got a little bit lucky as well. Excellent. Going back a little bit, Google AdWords was like the first in online marketing that like really blew up. But then in comes all this other social media marketing. I'm assuming being you're digitally native, you do a lot of social media marketing. Yeah, yeah. We do a lot of social media stuff, yeah. And so what, are, what type of things are you doing social media marketing wise? Look, at the moment, it's a little different. I mean, at the moment, we're folk, because of COVID, um, we're doing a lot because people can't travel more than five kilometers here in Australia um, under current restrictions. So we're doing a lot more local area stuff. Uh, so, you know, jumping into the local community groups, posting stuff in there, um, engaging with local community groups, um, just stuff like that. It's probably a little bit more niche and entrepreneurial type stuff we're doing now rather than sort of big campaigns that spray marketing out there. It's more getting down and getting very personal with people. and um, you know, I mean, we did a, a program a couple of weeks ago where we asked people to tag a friend that they, you know, cause we've been in lockdown for, I don't know how long. And we just said, look, you know, people are probably feeling a bit down, tag a friend that deserves a smiley face bouquet and we'll send you a bunch of balloons. And, um, that campaign blew up. It was just crazy. The amount of people that just started tagging their friends, uh, so that we would send them a bouquet. And, um, so we've been running variations on that style of marketing, but you know, that, that was just something we thought, oh, it's an idea. Let's test this out. And just blew up and became, um, you know, we, now we're just finding out how many other ways we can do similar things like that at the moment. What was the tail end after you did that? Did you gain new customers? Look, we gained new customers. The, the cool thing about the, the exercise is that it paid off. Like, I mean, the cost of a bouquet to us is not that much. Um, the number of people that commented, so the marketing was great, but on top of that, it, it generated sales immediately from the post. So, 
we generated more profit from the post um, yeah, than was intended. I mean, the initial thing was, let's just do a feel-good thing for the community and, uh, and give back. Uh, but it ended up being a real profitable marketing initiative. So, so you know, by accident. Um, so, you know, we did things after that, like people, you know, there was a lot of homeschooling going on here. So we did homeschooling packs and uh, we did a whole bunch of just giveaways and we just, we're just doing giveaways and jumping onto local community groups and saying, you know, tag friends and who do you think deserves this or deserves that? And it was just a great, um, a great thing we could replicate in a number of different ways. Excellent. Really cool. Thank you for sharing. I want to move on here in both e-commerce and in physical. What percentage of your sales are in the store versus online? Oh, look, it, it does fluctuate. Um, I would say at the moment, probably 75% online, 25% in-store. Okay. And then in a non-COVID time? Uh, that, that's in non-COVID. That's in non-COVID. Okay. Right now, right now it's, it's, it's probably like 90, 10 because the store's closed. So the store's doing virtually nothing at the moment. And so if 75% are done online, why is the store so critical in your opinion? Um, Look, we're doing, we're market leaders online. So we're, we're obviously covering the whole of Australia. And I see. What we're doing there. Uh, the store itself, standalone, is also a very profitable business. Um, so we're actually looking at opening up more stores um, because that, that model, is, and, and the store model is more profitable than the online model. Um, you know, with online, you scale and, you know, but you, you are at competing with every other party store in the whole country. Um, so things are, are, are very competitive in, in that respect um as far as bricks and mortar goes you know you do have a local area that you can carve out and if you do that really well um what we've seen with digital mind stories we've seen um competitors disappear for quite some distance from the store over the years so you know we've basically carved out a space where you know we've, we've been able to outcompete um many of the smaller competitors that were in the area and and they've slowly over the years disappeared Interesting. You just said something, though, that is so remarkable that I think is what most people wouldn't think, which is the store model is more profitable than the e-commerce model. Yeah, yeah. And what are the drivers of that? Is it the shipping? Is it the customer acquisition cost? What are the drivers of that? It's kind of all of the above, I guess. Like with, a, with, an, with an online store, you've got, um, you've got to pick the order for the customer. You've got to type messages to them instead of talking to them, uh, which is slower communication. Um, you know, orders are in boxes, so they get moved around. So there's just a lot more admin and labor uh, and, and labor costs in Australia, are, I believe double. I mean, our, our minimum wage at the moment, I think is $27 or something like that here in Australia. Oh. Um, so we, labor's expensive here compared to there. So it's a little different. And that's what you might see a bit different in retail. I noticed when I go to the US, I'm like, oh my God, how they got... So many people running around keeping their stores looking beautiful. We can't afford that, um, you know. But there's a difference in labor, so there's quite a difference in 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 the model in terms of retail here in Australia versus in the US. Um, but yeah, definitely labor is the big driver. So yeah, it's expensive to service online customers. We've got to pick their orders. Um, you know, there's expectations of all those costs not being passed on. You know, you absorb freight costs. I mean, we try, we don't offer free freight. We offer 9.95. Um, nationwide delivery um, as our cheap option. Um, and even in that respect, like from a shipping cost, we, we, we're subsidizing that. Um, 
So we, our shipping cost is more than that. And, you know, you're absorbing those costs. With, with a bricks and mortar store, um, you know, the customer comes in, they browse. I mean, you do help the customer, but it's, it's not, you're not there sort of waiting on them hand and foot. So they, you know, they go and grab their own stuff. I mean, the average customer goes and grabs their own stuff, goes to checkout, you scan it out, and off they go. And that's the labor cost. So the labor is a major component. Um, the real estate issue is that the real estate is really our marketing cost to some degree. I mean, we do a lot of marketing, but you know, people know we're here because we're in we're a physical site. So people drive past, they see us, they know where we are. That is, is part of the marketing. Uh, but like you said, with digital, you've got to buy every customer or most customers if you want to grow. You've got to buy those customers and you've got to try to buy them profitably, which means when it comes to that formula I mentioned earlier, you're really squeezing your net profit at the end of the day um, to try to get volume. You know, you're trying to trade off that volume versus profit. Oh, yeah. We're in the business of making money. We're not in the business of scale. Uh, so For scale's so, you know, sake. I, I, I chase profit. I don't chase scale. Amen. I hear you. One point that you made, I think that people wouldn't think is the labor piece because people think of store employees. The, the other thing that you mentioned before when you were talking about you have to buy the customer online, I also imagine that that formula has probably changed. It was a lot more profitable Google AdWords in 2003 than it is today. Is that true? Yeah, I'll tell you something that people freak out when I tell them that, that when we launched on Google, so Google launched in Australia in 2003 and we became their first customer in August. Uh, and I was doing a university project, which is a whole nother story. And, and that's how I came across Google launching in Australia and did it as part of a thesis of my final year. Um, and at that time, we paid one cent per click. But every customer cost me one cent. <laughs> it's just, you know, to think of that today, people just be like, that's just ridiculous. But that's how it was when it started. I mean, Google is a competitive place. You're bidding against other people. That's the, the model. So when I launched, there was no competition. There was no one to bid against. I was the only, when I, when I put in an ad for one cent, I was the only one that appeared for that keyword. That was how it went when it started. What's your cost today? Oh, shit. I mean, it varies. And like you said, that formula was very simple back then. I had one formula for all my ads. Now, almost we break it down by category, group, that, that formula. I mean, the formula is the same, but the inputs and outputs are different for every category, for every keyword. Um, we've got it very granular, that formula. We, we use it. Uh, so, you know, it varies. I mean, on a, on a very highly competitive keyword. I mean, to be honest, now it can cost whatever you want to pay. I mean, you pay $10. Right, yeah, yeah. We've got, we got competitors competing on party supplies that are paying from what we can see, 4 or $5 customer. Um, and, and we won't go past 50 cents because we know that's the profitable mark. Um, but, you know, we do notice, I mean, Google has taken away some stats and data that we used to be able to get, but we used to be able to see that we were appearing in the top five results, probably averaging position three and four on say party supplies, um, but we were appearing 98% of the time. Um, there were, at, you know, this was a few years ago when that had that data, we were seeing, you know, 10 or 15 competitors that would appear above us every time they appeared, but they only appeared 5% of the time. So what that told us was we were running a sustainable model that meant that that keyword was profitable for us. and Appearing in position three or four was what was profitable. Appearing in the top two just, yeah, you know, I mean, we didn't care about position. It was all about profit. But what I'm saying there is that, you know, our position ended up at three. And whether if our position was three or it was 10, whatever that position was, that was profitable. And that's what we would go with. And if it meant sacrificing volume, uh, 
we were happy to give give that business away. Unbelievable. What sage advice and what an incredible look at, you know, going from 1999 starting the e-commerce to today and the stores still more profitable. Well, thank yeah. you for that unbelievable story. Let's pivot a minute, talk a couple minutes, running a business in COVID, during the COVID time period in Australia has been, which seems to be different than the US. Talk to us about that. You, you mentioned some things earlier that I kind of glossed over. You can't go more than five kilometers from where you live and still today, and it's September for those who are listening, September, 2021, in Australia, many stores are still closed. Yep, yep. Look, two, two things I would say helped us through COVID that were sort of brewing pre-COVID that we were able to lean on that helped us through COVID. One was we're a very innovative business. We've been pioneering a lot of different things, like I mentioned, smart mirrors, and we've done scan and go. And look, we've, we've done a lot of uh, tech pioneering in the last 10 years. So we're very... Um, we we're very innovation focused, so we, we, we're constantly pivoting. So the team was used to pivoting for starters and used, used to putting up with my crap in, in terms of, you know, constant new toys to play with. Um, and, and secondly, I guess, um, planning and the fact that we're an events business, we, you know, Halloween is an event, but we have, to be honest, we have over a hundred of those events. I mean, we have even that thing called Elvis Day that we plan for. So to give you an idea, there's, you know, Elvis Day, Easter, St. Patrick's Day, Oktoberfest, we plan for events. So when it came to COVID, we were able to use some of those skills and put them to the test. Uh, and even it tested us. I mean, when we when COVID first hit two years ago um, in March, um, we were, an, you know, we were able to pivot pretty quickly. Uh, and we won a lot of awards for this, actually, over the last 12 months, 18 months, where we we are, our business was down 95%. And, and what I, you know, me being the finance guy in the business, I said to my business partner, I said, what a, the fact that you can't have parties and parties are illegal, what the hell are the 5% buying? Um, and so our, our staff went and asked that question to every customer that checked out. And what we, what jumping forward, what that resulted in within a couple of weeks was a complete re-engineer of our website to focus on things people could do from home that we could service rather than focusing on parties. And, you know, we went from being down 95% to gradually getting up to par and then ended up finishing the year in a COVID year beating the prior year that was not COVID. Wow. <laughs> and, I just and got chills. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, and that was, and that was just purely focusing on helping people in isolation. I mean, people were stuck at home. We were so, you know, so we had a, a category called coronavirus survival on our website that was on the main page and people could go there and they could get things to do at home. It was baking products. It was products that we already stocked. It was all part of our normal range. There was, there was one category that was a new category, but most products in there were stuff we already had. So it was games, it was toys, it was things you could do from home, arts and crafts, homeschooling stuff, um, products we already stocked that could help people with those things. Um, you know, with balloon bouquets and doing balloons, we had a happy ISO birthday bouquet and, um, you know, things like that. We just had a bit of fun with it. And that, uh, that, that paid off big time for us. And um, that really kicked us off through that first phase of the guess of the pandemic in 2020. 
uh, which was, you know, so that that was that was I, I couldn't believe we got that result at the end of the year. It was just, I mean, I was shocked. We were shocked, and the, you know, the team got a real pat on the back because they really pushed through a tough time in that that phase. Yeah, um, that I don't is... know if you want to touch on that first, but you know, then the second bit is about um, planning, which is what we've learned in this second phase of the pandemic. Well, yeah. So two things. One, was there ever a time in the last eighteen months where you were allowed to open, or have you guys been closed the entire time? No, we've been. We were we were open through the first phase of the pandemic, um, albeit not many people coming in. It was it was a weird. I mean, the government here in Australia basically said people can't shop in specialty retail shops, but um, they didn't force us to close. So it was a bit strange, but um, so we were open and some people were still coming in. Uh, a lot of people were still buying online or click and collect or whatever that was. Masks required. Uh, masks were required. In the last, uh, I don't know what it's been now, three months or two months, we've been closed. Um, but otherwise we've been open. Okay. But people when, have been told they can't shop with us, which is just, you know, I mean, rank the governments and all that stuff. But it was just a strange time where governments basically said you can only leave home to shop for groceries and hardware and not party supplies, uh, but we're not going to shut down party stores. Okay. When you were open for, you know, pre three months, like from when you got closed to reopened and then the time you got closed again, how did, how did, how were sales? Um, so yeah, store sales, definitely when the stores was forced to close, that's when sales have fallen through the floor. So we're down around 50%. Um, but I mean, we're still doing 50% and that's the store only, not the online. So the store's doing, um, you know, phone orders and balloon deliveries and things like that. What about when it was open through the COVID where people, was it as normal? I would say not, not really. No, it was still down a bit because, you know, people were having, it, it was strange actually. What, what we saw was that when the government lifted restrictions, so when we were on, you know, parties were completely illegal to then being, they, they lifted restrictions late last year to say you can have 20 people in your home. Um, we exploded at that point. That's, that's what I was really getting exploded. to. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. You had to be higher sales than even pre-COVID. Yeah, I mean, one of the factors, I mean, is also that people couldn't party at a pub or a club or a, couldn't go to a restaurant. So the only way people could party was at home. And, you know, we really capitalized on that which is where that second part of what I was going to talk about comes in around planning and contingencies um, I, I, really helped us out. So we're going to go there. I just have one thing, because it was one of the most profound things that I've heard anyone say through COVID, which was, you said, wow, sales are down 95% because it doesn't matter where you sell e-commerce or in a store, it's illegal to party. So people can't buy anything. But your question was, was, what are the people buying the 5% buying? And you yeah. realized they were buying these things like arts and crafts and things. And so you went all in on that stuff. Coronavirus survival kit, genius. These are great. It, it, that's just a, a great insight. I love the question. What an innovative, simple question to ask that clearly led to a lot of great results. So kudos to you. So that was the first piece. You went all in on that 5% category. The second piece is planning. Talk us through that. Yeah, so like as a business that's in events, obviously we do a lot of planning. We have Halloween, which we plan in January. We have Easter, which we plan again, nine to 12 months in advance. And there are about, there are probably about 30 high level steps in getting to an event, you know, from marketing, merchandising, emails, uh, trading hours, 
you know, there's a whole bunch of things to running a business around events and planning is the key. Uh, and we learned that in the early days, you know, you asked about the business transition from a small store to a big store. I mean, we went in that first two years, we actually had to shut the online business at one point because we couldn't cope with volume because we weren't prepared for it. Uh, and that, you know, that was a lesson that we learned the hard way and uh, a big failure because we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars that year. And, you know, we learned to, we just, you know, we just had to plan better and be more sophisticated at planning. And that's paid off now in, in COVID times because, you know, when it came to lockdowns and changing restrictions and in Australia, I mean, I'm not sure what it's been like over there, but every week it was felt like the, the government had changed its mind on how things were going to work um, and, and businesses were struggling. For us, it was pull out what we normally do and just do it in a bit of a different way. And um, again, we got lucky that, that we had those things as, as, as disciplines. Um, so, you know, for example, when we got locked down, you know, we, we had a contingency plan for getting locked down. We had that ready to go. So as soon as the government said, right, we're shutting you down retail, even though we didn't think it was going to happen because they hadn't up to that point. Um, when they turned around and said, we're shutting you down retail, we had a plan that we, you know, we whipped it out. Um, and, and by the way, the government didn't give us much notice. They pretty much said, you're shutting down tomorrow. Um, and they did it on a weekend. Um, so, you know, on, on, I think on Sunday, we got the news that you're going to be shut down tomorrow. You know, we were able to whip out a plan, put a whole bunch of things in place. And by the next day, we were ready to operate as a closed retail store. Um, and that meant certain people were, were, were ready to work from home. They had the tasks that they could do from home. There was um, the communication channels in place to, to operate the store, the systems and procedures for click and collect for a closed store. Um, you know, everything was ready to go. Um, and that was, again, very key because um, what we heard across our industry was, you know, people got taken by surprise by the lockdown. Um, they weren't ready for it. They didn't have it, you know, they, they couldn't operate because they didn't know, you know, you weren't even allowed to get back in the store. You know, if you didn't have an IT system set up to allow work from home and remote working, um, which we had already in place because of that contingency, um, you couldn't get into your business to fix those IT issues to, to, to get your business working in a remote manner. So, um, you know, we were ready to go. And I think that was very key in that we had, you know, come up with all these contingencies for all these possibilities. So we, we've come up with contingencies for reopening now, as an example, um, and how that's going to work and what, what are the government restrictions going to be when we open and how is, I mean, we're, we're going to open. We're, we're now, it's, you know, the time of this chat with you, it's the 21st of, September, uh, we're heading into October, we're a closed store, and we're opening for Halloween in roughly two weeks, the, store, the government's going to open us up. Now, our history told us from last year that it's going to be massive, and Halloween is always massive for us, um, but that requires a huge amount of planning, which we're still finalizing some of the details at the moment. But, you know, the idea is we've been planning to open for, for weeks and coming up with contingency plans on how we might open. So that when the government says, hey, you're opening in a couple of weeks, like they have now, um, you know, we've already halfway there in terms of what needs to be done. And I think that's important, you know, is to have plans and contingencies for when things might change and trying to predict that. I'm, a, I'm an avid sports fan. And I wrestled in college. And like many sports, there's cycles where you're training hard and then you're not training. And in collegiate sports there's probably even a period where you're doing no training and i had a friend who was like 
in like wrestling shape, not the top of it, like the peak, but in baseline wrestling shape, like all year round. And he never like did what everyone else did, which was they got in peak shape, then they got out of shape, peak shape, and then got out of shape. He was always in like the baseline, strong wrestling shape. And one time I asked him and he said something profound to me, which was, if you're always ready, then you never have to get ready. And that's what your planning scenario basically told me, right? If you're always ready, when something unexpected happens, you don't have to get ready for it. You are ready for it. And so uh, thanks for sharing. That was great. Okay. It's been a long time. I want to bring us to the final part of the show. It's called Retail Wisdom. I've got three fun questions for you. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. All right, question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? I think music stores. I mean, I used to love going to music stores, um, you know, but they just don't exist anymore. And, you know. They don't. It it was cool. I I used to be a DJ and uh, bought my DJ equipment from a music store even. And, um, you know, you can't go to them anymore, so. It's true. You're an innovative retailer. Maybe you can bring back the music store. (laughs) You never know. You never know. Okay. Question two. What's the last item over $20 you purchased in a store? Last item over $20 was a fishing rod. um, And it was a long way over $20. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Okay. Final question. I think I know the answer though. But if you and I... Dean, we're shopping at Target. And I know Target, where you are, where I am, is a little bit different. But if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? I mean, in Australia, we have fishing in our Target. So yeah, I find me in the fishing aisle since that's my hobby. Uh, yeah, Excellent. You find me. Well, listen, Dean, this has been terrific. You've been a fantastic guest, given everybody some unbelievable insights. Thank you so much. Good luck over the next few weeks as Halloween opens. You're going to crush it, I'm sure. Uh, Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. I hope so. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.